Welcome back, everybody. It's time for Customers Who Click. I'm really excited about this episode as I'm going to be talking with Eli Weiss, the Director of Customer Experience at Olipop, a challenger soft drink brand based out in the US. They're absolutely killing it with a fantastic customer experience over there. And I'll get Eli on in a second to go into more detail. Do remember to head over to the Customers Who Click website where you can get access to over 50 actionable tips to help your business today, as well as the other 77 episodes of the podcast. Let's get Eli on now to explain why customer experience has been crucial to Olipop's growth. Hi, Eli. Thanks for joining me on the podcast today. Um, do you want to just quickly introduce yourself? Um, what, what are you up to at the moment? What's your what's your kind of career been to date? Of course. Thank you so much for having me, Will. Uh, my name is Eli Weiss, Director of CX at Olipop. Um, past couple of years, I've I've started in, in my... Uh, my career has been started in early stage startups, doing everything from Ops and logistics to customer experience to investor relations and trade shows and all the fun stuff. My first my first kind of gig was at a Kickstarter brand based in Israel. Um, started off in, in customer experience and it was a really uh, interesting space then because most brands weren't paying a ton of attention to it. Um, when I started there, they were two years delayed on a project. Um, and obviously, customers weren't super excited. And uh, long story short, I leveraged customer experience to really turn around uh, the brand um, and, and spent a couple of years there. Kind of transitioned into uh, CPG food and beverage in 2020, spent a little bit of time at Nugs, um, which is a vegan chicken alternative, and joined Olipop in the middle of last year. Um, so essentially, a little bit about Olipop. Olipop is a new kind of soda that tastes like the soda you grew up sipping, but supports digestive health. Has nine grams of plant fiber in each can, prebiotics, botanicals like slippery elm bark, kudzu root, marshmallow root, things that you won't generally see in a soda. Two to five grams of sugar in each can with 45 calories or less. So it's essentially, you know, the new coming for soda. Soda as a category has 90 something percent household penetration. And, you know, people have hundreds of pounds of sugar a year drinking soda. So we're kind of a, a Trojan horse trying to bring delicious things inside a nostalgic beverage. Cool. Sounds good. Uh, so you mentioned uh, customer experience quite a bit. Now, I know there's there are a couple of different ways of looking at customer experience. So what is your kind of view on it, your like definition? Where does it kind of fit in with the business? Yeah, I think what's interesting about customer experience is that that you know every brand calls what they do differently. Whether it's support experience, um, you know, help desk, whatever the name is, I think is relevant. What's what's you know to me, there's there's kind of two two facets of of you know, CX or customer experiences, what I call 1.0, which is very juvenile. It's, it's reactive. It's, you know, customers have an issue. We put out the fire um, and we move along. You know, historically, that kind of customer experience has been outsourced and it's the person in the corner of the office or in a different country that's putting out these fires. Um, you know, customer experience 2.0 or, or the thing that I'm striving for and the thing that I think a lot of things, a lot of brands are realizing is, is actually worth investing in is a much more proactive approach. And when you think about customer journey, you think about where the customer finds you, whether it's, you know, an ad on Instagram, they click that ad, what's the website experience like? What's shipping and delivery like? What's the product like? Customer service returns pretty much every single part of the customer journey, essentially going above and beyond or at least meeting expectations. Um, and then on a proactive, on a proactive scale, customer experience as a as a you know as a group of people um, is essentially taking this feedback and taking the things we're learning about the, from the customer and, and getting that to all the different parts of the of the company so we can continuously grow and make sure we're we're continuously meeting those expectations. Yeah, I, I think that makes sense to me. Um, 
that's yeah, it's kind of what I what I'm trying to work on as well. You know, making sure that not only does the customer, you know, see the product page, read about the products, and go, okay, cool, I'm I'm happy to make this purchase, but also that the information is there, so they're happy to buy from the company because they see the reviews of the company and they go, cool, loads of people love this company. You've got free shipping if I spend this amount. You might have free returns or just super easy returns. And I'm I'm confident that if I buy from this company, I'm going to have a good experience. And then making sure you actually match that expectation as well. Yeah. So when they when they have purchased from you. Yeah, I think that last part is probably the most important, right? It's like we, you know, you see so many brands that constantly promise a lot. And then when you get to, you know, you'll you'll find the Facebook ad and it looks beautiful and you'll purchase it. And it says free two-day shipping. And what you don't realize is it's free two-day shipping, but 12 days processing time. So by the time you get the product, you're already so (laughs) underwhelmed and frustrated that you have no shot of repurchasing. So, you know, you're spending so much money to acquire these customers. And then by the time they get the product, they're like, screw this. I mean, I'm pretty sure the expectation from the customer now is that um, when you save two-day shipping or next day, well, it's normally next day delivery, isn't it? But whatever you say on that shipping time, that's when the customer expects to receive it. They're not. Yep. They're not thinking about that processing time. That's you know. If you tell me it's two days, I get it in forty-eight hours, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, it's similar with returns, right? It's it's easy for companies to put yeah free returns on their website. It's really easy. All you've got to do is go to this this page and and sort it out. And then when you actually have to do it, you find out you've got to log into this portal. You've got to find this detail, you've got to then create an account with a courier in order to print off a returns label. And then you've got to walk, you know, or you've got to travel over to some sort of depot or something to actually hand the product over to then get shipped back. And those are the bits they leave off until you're actually in a position to make that return. So, um, yeah. 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 And I think you bring up, you bring up a good point, uh, you know, when you think about returns, we are spoiled um, from you know the Amazon return policy where it's just super easy and frictionless. And then when you when you look at D 2 C brands, obviously returns is, is a big hurdle to get over figuring all that out. But if if a customer is purchasing based on the thought that there's a free return and then you know they shouldn't have to go through two pages of fine prints to learn that there's free returns and the returns are covered, but you only get store credit and you don't get you know your your money back. So all these things when you think about is like it's a good way to get a customer into your into your funnel, but it's also a good way for them to leave and never come back and also tell everyone else that this is a miserable brand to work with. So I think it's a day of reckoning for brands in general. Over the last you know six to 12 months, people are realizing that they'd rather go with a brand, even if it's a little bit more expensive, but if that brand gives them the frictionless experience, they're really opting for that. And I think people's pockets are, are finally filling, you know, brands' pockets are filling that right now where customers are choosing the easy and seamless and frictionless experience, even if it costs a couple of dollars more. Yeah, you're paying for that uh, a bit of convenience, a bit of peace of mind. Yeah. You know, especially if we're talking, you know, for some products, you know, especially if it's the same product and you found it on two different websites, it's likely that the price difference is going to be up to maybe $5, five pounds, generally, you know, yep. maybe a little bit more. So that's when people start assessing that, that business and saying, right, okay, this one's, they've, they've both got a thousand reviews, both rated quite highly. One of them's quite obviously got a free returns policy. It looks really easy. The other one, I don't know, I can't see it because they've stuck. The, the only way they mention it is in the returns policy in the footer 
And that's where it says free returns on orders over a certain amount or, uh, or, or within certain time periods. There's, um, I know it's not quite the same as returns, but the, the refund policy here for um, a lot of train services is, so if, you're, if your train is delayed over, I think it's 12 minutes, um, you're allowed to claim a refund for that journey. But you're not allowed to apply for that refund for about 30 days. And then you get 14 days to actually make your application. So you have to, you have to get it in that window. And that window is just placed far back enough for you to forget about it. Right? Genius. You say genius, but it pisses off a lot of people. <laughs> So now, now we've got the train companies saying, oh, yeah, everyone needs to return to London, you know, get, start getting back on the trains. And everyone's going, nah, because it's really expensive. We hate the service and we can all work from home. So, yeah, it's, 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 funny, you bring, it's funny you bring that up. And I, I think what, you know, your point earlier around like people choosing brands that, that deeply give a shit about them, you know, when, that, when you talk about that, it, it brings up, you know, Zappos. Zappos is a shoe store. They're not making their own shoes. They're, uh, you know, they're selling every other brand. And there are so many other sites in the US like shoes.com and, and so many others like BSW, et cetera, that sell the same exact shoes. But people choose Zappos, even though sometimes it's full price and you'll find a $5 discount elsewhere. People choose Zappos because they know they'll be taken care of. And that's kind of, you know, when, when we talk about retention, we talk about how do we keep customers coming back. It, it's really not rocket science. Like people like, coming back to a brand that takes care of them. And that's it, full stop, right? Yeah, if you feel like you can trust that brand, yeah, it's, it's going to be the first brand you think of when, you, when, you're, when you're considering buying that product again. Mm-hmm. Um, so let, let's talk about Olipop a bit. Um, what do you think, what's been one of the biggest contributors to growth um, for, for you guys? Yeah, and, and I, I think about this question often because we've, we've been on such a rocket lately. Um, We've grown like 600% in 2020, and we're in track to double that. So the, the last the last two years have been so insane. Um, and when I look at the rest of the space, I, I think since the day of inception, the goal with Olipop has always been to meet consumers where they're at. Um, you know, you think about, yes, it's a health product that supports gut health, but it's also a soda with nostalgic flavors. You know, as a team we're committed to not take shortcuts um, and to continuously deliver like massive value for the customer. So when you think about every, every single part of this business we've done thoroughly, you know, our, our sales team is the best in the business. We obsess over customer experience. We have, you know, pretty much have brought in a full in-house marketing team led by, you know, our co-founder, David, who spent years at Diageo. Ben, who's the other co-founder and CEO is formulating these products in his own house. So you, you think about like every single part of this has been so intentional. Um, and then I, I'd say, you know, finally as a team, I think culture at Olipop is, is second to none. Like I've, I've been chatting with so many people at so many different startups. Startups are hard. Um, and when you think about the fact that most startups fail, it makes it even harder. <laughs> so putting together an all-star team and then genuinely paying attention to mental health and paying attention to people actually using their pay time off, not just giving them PTO that they can't take. So I think all these things are, are a contributor to just, you know, obviously killing it over the last couple of years. And then and obviously, you know, the 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 customer loves our product and loves the experience and, and we haven't taken that for granted for a second. So I think that's that's kind of that's kind of it. Cool. Yeah, sounds sounds pretty good. Yeah. And I mean I mean I've I've been in startups. I've been in those early stage startups. Um it's tough. 
you know, in, in any company, you have to get the hires right. Yeah, you know, you, you want someone who, who can do the job, they've got to fit in with the team. But I feel it's 10 times more important in a startup, right? Because not only have you got, you've got, you might have limited funds, might be on a runway, but just the intensity is so much higher. And, you know, it's so much more intense when you really are working hard to grow the business as quickly as possible, as opposed to a more established business where, you know, if if something goes wrong, if you run a, if you run an experiment and it's and it's a losing experiment, it's okay, cool. What have we, what have we learned from that? Move on. A startup, it's kind of we've got to make sure we get this right first first time. Yeah, I mean, and and you know, on that I'll say that it only takes one bad hire to really you know sink the ship. So it's 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 you know startups are very obsessive on on what hiring looks like and the amount of interviews you go through. But it, it does kind of make sense. You know, startups to your point are are so hard. Um, you know, it's it's every day you're waking up and doing the job of six to ten people, <laughs> and and staying lean and staying scrappy and and just building this thing. You know, the other part is you really have to enjoy doing what you're doing, and and you know the the mission of the company and the mission of your personal self. I think you know, some people just get lost in in this you know startup hustle and fun, and then you realize that it's like if you're going to wake up every morning and spend a bunch of hours of your day doing something you really, really have to love it. So I, I think that there's a lot of glamour around startups, um, but it's really not for everyone. Yeah, no, it's um, it's a lot more work, but if you love it, yeah, like you say, it's, it's great, right? I've had no problems at all. Not exactly working late at night, but you know, when I've, I've gone home or I'm even at the pub or something, and I'll, the ideas will still be like ticking over in my head because I'm really excited yeah. about what I'm doing. Like, and that's, yeah. and it just feels really good where... Yeah, I'm, I can just be at the pub with some friends and then suddenly someone will say something that triggers a little idea in my head. I'm like, okay, we need to go test this tomorrow. And I'll get my phone yeah. out, send, send myself an email with a note. Um, Can't turn it off. Yeah, it's great. Um, of course, you mentioned, uh, obviously everything's everything's going really, really well from what it sounds. So um, but what, what's, your been, what's been your biggest challenge at the moment or recently? Yeah, I think shipping and delivery as, as a whole, uh, supply chain has been has been challenging, you know, in the last year and a half, um, there's been trouble with containers, there's been trouble with couriers. So, you know, especially it, every D2C brands face challenges in, in shipping and delivery and, and with the amount of growth we've seen both in retail and in, you know, direct consumer, we've, we've obviously seen a massive influx of, of shipments. So on the supply chain side, we have like a phenomenal team that's always trying to look ahead of the curve. Um, and on the D2C side, I think the you know, on, on CX and on marketing, it's always trying to do our best to keep, like I said, keep expectations where they are. So if we're running out of stock, we'll stop selling and we'll write this flavor out of stock. Most D2C brands will sell it and then tell you after your place to order, hey, this product is out of stock. Would you like to wait four weeks for it? So the biggest thing for us is, is you know, we recognize this is, this is challenging and, and we're consistently trying to bring on more and more uh, supply to meet demand, but thinking of like, how can we constantly meet expectations and, and keep communicating with consumers? Yeah. Yeah. I think, um, I mean, I'm, I'm not on board with selling products that you don't have, but, um, but it's, it's interesting the different approaches some companies do take, right? Some, well, the, in my opinion, the worst option is just to say it's out of stock and that's it, right? 
Um, I mean, I could talk about this for ages. There's loads of ways you can say, well, this is out of stock, but because this is out of stock, we think you might like this product and and all that stuff. But you've obviously got email notifications for for restock. Um, but I, I am kind of, I do think it works to to give people the option to buy the product. But as long as you're upfront with it and you're saying you can buy this product, but because we haven't got it in stock, it's going to take four weeks to get to you. Like I think, I think that's yeah. fine and that, and that can work, but obviously not once someone has bought it and you go, yeah, yeah. By the way, four weeks. Yeah, yeah. I mean, as long as you as long as you can set expectations, you know, people release books and and Xboxes and there's all those things that release with the pre order. So I think pre order is fine as long as expectations. Like in my previous role as in the luggage startup, you know, we would sell something on Kickstarter that wasn't being produced for two years. Now, as long as you're saying like, this is the realistic expectation and consumers are getting into it because they want to be the, either because they want to be the first to order it or because they want to feel like they're part of building the brand. But regardless, as long as you can set expectations and I, I always aim to even exceed them a little bit. So if we say it'll probably be in stock in four weeks, um, I'll say that because I know it'll be in stock in three so I think just consistently trying to exceed those expectations. Um, and, and in that case, it probably makes sense. Yeah. Sometimes uh, I can get a little frustrated though. Um, I was actually out last night, put my name down for a restaurant. They told us 30 minute wait time. So we were like, cool, we can go next door, get a drink. We'd literally uh, five minutes later, got the drink, sat down uh, and I got pinged uh, with an SMS saying my t- <laughs> the table was ready. It's like, okay, oh God. <laughs> You know, I, yeah. I get that whole like, uh, what is it? Under undersell over promise. No, that's not undersell. Uh, under undersell over deliver. Under promise over deliver. Yeah, under promise over yeah. deliver. That sort of thing. But uh, yeah, so like thirty minutes and then and then giving it to us in five is uh, in, in that situation was actually odd. a bit annoying. <laughs> <laughs> that's a little odd. Yeah. Um, cool. All right. So let's uh, let's just get back on the on the customer experience stuff a bit more. Um, you mentioned you've your kind of customer experience 2.0 um, stuff. Do you want to do you want to tell us a bit more about that? Yeah. I mean, I, I think the the reason why I, I came to this, you know, over the last couple of years is what I was realizing is that you know, in the last couple of years, you know, cost track, cost of acquisition has gone up, you know, 80%. So it's, it's gotten crazy to continuously buy customers and then watch them leave because you, you are, you know, looking at retention from the lens of purchasing them back once they go and spamming them with emails. I, I think customer experience has just been such a pivotal part of, of what, you know, of, of why somebody purchases from a brand. You know, I, I think a survey that Harvard Business Review did last year was that 86% of customers willing to pay more for a, for a great customer experience. So, so that was my, um, you know, spending those years at the luggage company, seeing people just really, really get turned around, um, you know, from hating a brand to liking a brand, just from constant and consistent communication and transparency made me realize that customer experience is actually not a cost center. It's a tool. Um, and when used well, it's part of the marketing budget. You know, this is like a, a way for us to deeply connect with consumers and, and, and over deliver. So when I think about customer experience 2.0, I think about, you know, A, on, on a larger, on a macro level, it's how can we constantly exceed expectations and constantly make sure that customers are like not confused when they get a product like this is not what I ordered, right? And then on the on the more micro level, you know, how can we create 
wildly unscalable experiences for customers and treat them like a best friend and a, and a family member. And, and something that something that comes to mind is, you know, a couple of mo- a couple of months back, there was a lot of flooding um, in one of our customers, ha- you know, in a, in a customer's house, and they reached out to cancel their subscription. And you know, my team was like, "There's flooding in their house. We can just cancel their subscription, or we can go above and beyond and, and do something meaningful." And in that situation, my um, my colleagues sent them a full dinner from Olipop. And when you think about it, it's not that expensive, but it's something that people don't expect. And it's a way to just blow people out of the water and do things that don't scale. And most brands, you know, end up going for this, like, let's send a thousand people, you know, a, a, an extra cap with their order. And that's like, that's sweet, but it, it doesn't feel special and it doesn't feel unique to you, right? It's, I mean, so one one that I mentioned, it's, it's kind of like that but it's a bit more relevant. Um, I, I ordered from Gusto. Do you know Gusto? Uh, not often. The, the meal box. It's, it's a bit like HelloFresh or Blue Apron, I think you have. Oh, cool. Yeah, um, yeah really similar thing. Um, they sent out, I think on my second box or something, a uh, like a wooden cooking spoon. You know, like a wooden, um, mm-hmm. yeah, wooden spoon. And it's like my favorite spoon, right? It's, it is a little bit nicer. It looks a bit nicer, but it's also, it's come from that brand. It was a little gift. I use it all the time. Um, and it's something I now, even though I've cancelled, I talk about it again and again. And I tell people about it. And it's just just giving me that feeling that Gusto is a bit of a, a nice brand. Even though this was yeah. just a, you know, something they chuck in probably everyone's second box. Um, but at least it was relevant to the actual stuff in this case. Um, yeah. Whereas yeah. there are other brands that will just, like you say, they just chuck something random in there. And assume that you'll be like, oh, cool, some free stuff. That's great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it's a good point. I think that. No, I was just going to say. I think that the you know the the future of of CX is is viewing it as a marketing channel and and obviously allocating spend towards it and letting the voice of the customer be part of all these decisions. Like, what would the customer would the customer even want this? Where they are they even interested in this? And constantly asking those questions. Um, so I think that brands generally have decided like, this is what customers love. They love a good pair of socks. And in reality, they've never stopped to ask that question. What does the customer want? Um, and that's been you know super exciting for us at Olipop is to constantly ask these questions and learn more and, and constantly be able to deliver fantastic experiences. Yeah. So do you give your um, customer service team quite a lot of freedom to... like? Can they reach out to people? Can they just ask questions? Are they free to... Like, you know, that dinner... Is that something they're pretty yeah. free to do? Yeah. I mean, I, I think that the the most important thing that I've learned um, over the last couple of years doing this, that the bottleneck for fantastic experiences is it's not your employees or their creativity or the execution. It's usually too much corporate structure and bad management and lack of empowerment. So for me, it's the most important thing that obviously, A, you want to make sure you hire people that you think inherently love doing this and want to blow blow people out of the water um, and then be empowering them, giving them the ability to just like, here's a credit card, go for it. And then C, make sure that we gla- like we we glorify these experiences. When some when someone on my team does this, we talk about that across the company. Like, do you understand what what happened today? Check this out. And um yeah, I mean we view it as take a tiny little piece of the marketing budget um, and allocate that towards CX. If it's under a couple hundred dollars, they, they don't even have to ask. You just you just go for it and and let me know after. Yeah. Yeah, that's cool. I, I do like, uh, I, I'm in favor of this view that, yeah, like customer service kind of falls under marketing. Um, mm-hmm. Because 
like you say, it's just so important. You're they're constantly engaging with those customers. They're you know they're on the front line. So why not empower them to do these things? And and then there's also all the feedback and the the kind of customer research you get from it that feeds into basically every aspect of the business. But that all comes through this team. So you need to have people who are willing to who really want to get involved with it as well. Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. I think a lot of people do hire into customer service teams, people who are just happy to sit there and do the job. They just want to do a nine to five. They're going to answer the emails, answer the calls, job done, they're cheap, right? But the better people are the yeah. ones who who can, who will push to take it to the next level. So yeah, really, really on board with that. Yeah, yeah. I think it, it makes sense to, to hire people that want to, you know, blow people away. Like I think customer experience as a, as a whole is always like, if you're extroverted and you love people, you love this job. In reality, it's it's a really difficult job, right? Because most of the people that reach out aren't just reaching out to chat. They're reaching out because they're really pissed off and something yeah. went unwell. So you have to be able to find people that know how to take a situation and, and really turn, turn lemons into lemonade. Um, and that's what I'm constantly looking for on my team, somebody that can take a negative situation, like a, you know, like a, a customer's house that, that has flooding and, and turn that into us as a brand really deeply caring and doing something about it really quickly. Yeah. I mean, I've, I, I've done customer service, you know, I've, I've been at startups. It's, it's something you, uh, obviously you don't have to do, but it's pretty much a, you know, you should do this if you're in a startup and, uh, yeah, I've had those experiences. I've had unhappy people who are unhappy at the business. So not, not just something bad is happening to them. Um, they're, they're unhappy with us for some reason. And it's surprising how easy it is to turn that around by just kind of listening to that person, empathizing with them and, and fixing the problem for them. Um, and, and I've had plenty of people who haven't canceled a service because we've just been on the phone with them. Oh, you know, they've emailed us. We've called them to say, really sorry about this. Like, we're going to fix this for you. Um, and then they say, yeah, cool. Well, um, thanks for that. Let's, uh, let's just carry on. I think listening is probably the most important part. I right? like putting time in to listen and empathize. I think as a brand, we're, we're so busy with like defending like, Hey, we didn't know, or we didn't realize or we didn't mean it. Or like, we're so, we're so busy about that. For us, it was like taking accountability, right? Like, you know, I've seen on, even on a, on a pure data side of things, when we switch it from we to I, like, I am so sorry, instead of pushing you know, deflecting it to the brand or like, we're so sorry, FedEx couldn't deliver it in time. But when we switch it to, I am so sorry, because I know how frustrating it is to order a product, wait two weeks and not get it. And then we can say like, hey, here's the reality. FedEx has been massively delayed over the last couple of weeks, but we still know it's frustrating. So here's a partial, here's a partial refund. And let me reship that box to you. You know, so like, so not, not deflecting, but taking personal accountability that the experience wasn't perfect, even if it's not your fault. Yeah, no, I like that. I do that just on, on that delivery note, actually. Um, I, I do think a, a lot of brands kind of miss this factor that, you know, as far as the customer's concerned, you're, you are responsible for that product not turning up, that order not turning up. doesn't matter what happens with FedEx or Yodel or whoever, um, and, and whether they're having problems and they're delayed. They've, they're, they're your customer. They're going to come back to you for, for the questions, aren't they? You know, then. No, no one's going to phone up FedEx and say, "Oh, I, I've ordered from this company. They've they've sent it via you, but where is it?" They go straight to the company, don't they? They straight to the brand. Yeah, I mean, I, I think <laughs> this is something I rant about so often because it's like I, I've seen some streetwear brands now put in their terms and conditions. Uh, this is once it's shipped, we are no longer 
obligated or whatever. And I'm like, it's yeah. not a joke. Like when somebody orders something online, the expectation is that that's going to get to them. They don't really care how it does, whether it's a airplane or a helicopter, you personally delivering it to them. It's your responsibility to get the product from your warehouse to the customer. And like you said, like, it's not a customer's job to go call FedEx to find out why it didn't get delivered. That's on you to make sure it gets to them. And that's, you know, quarter four is going to be crazy. Like last year, FedEx had a massive bunch of delays and USPS was a total mess and, and UPS was a mess. This year will be even worse. And that's the data that we're seeing is it'll be even worse. So getting ahead of that means making sure you're choosing options that fit with your order if you're selling a $500 t-shirt you shouldn't be shipping it with the cheapest shipping you should be next day air or whatever right so like making sure that those align the cost of your product if it's a luxury product it should be shipped with better shipping but then just setting expectations like you can even put that in your site like hey there's a bunch of delays and yeah maybe your conversion will be a little bit lower but ultimately your customers will be like wow this is a brand that genuinely cares yeah i didn't uh, i didn't see it that much here actually um I don't think we had that many problems last year. Uh, maybe Royal Mail a little bit. Oh, wow. But the number of US sites I went onto and saw a banner at the top saying uh, there's there's disruption. Um, so yeah. uh, del- deliveries and shipments are delayed. It was like, I was shocked at how many companies, but also in a good way, you know, it's good that they're putting that message there. But it just, uh, yeah, it just really surprised me. Um, I guess it's also because, you know, as a country, we're, I don't know which state we're the size of, but you know, the, the, the <laughs> yeah. UK fits in a lot of states, right? It is, right, right. It is tiny in comparison. So I guess those those shipping issues are not uh, not as problematic for us. Um, mm-hmm. I just wanted to, I wanted to touch on your the subscription stuff um, because you you obviously have a subscription offering. Um, so so one thing I want to understand is you know what do you think makes a good subscription offer? Um, that gets people coming back. Um, and I think uh, kind of tied into that, I, I know you, you guys do some kind of special stuff with SMS, I think. So uh, yeah, yeah. I'll just kind of hand that over to you. Yeah, no, it's a great question. I, I think it's super important to zoom out and ask yourself if this product even has to have a subscription. I think that many brands just right off the bat decide like, oh, this is a subscription product. And and maybe it's not. So I think like looking at the data, like for us, for us at Dollypop, we started off with just one-time orders. We looked at the data and saw that there the intervals that people are repurchasing were every two, four, and eight weeks. And we said, listen, we see these customers are coming back to us every two, four, and eight weeks. How can we give them some sort of special experience so we can, you know, on our end, we take that monthly recurring revenue, but on their end, they have a reason to stick around. Um, the next, and the next thing I'd say, number two is it's, it's, it's worth thinking about the fact that there's so much trauma around subscriptions of yesteryear. When you think about how difficult it was to leave and how annoying it was that you can only call them to cancel and you have to, call them between three hours of the day, wait 40 minutes on hold. So people generally want to stay away from subscriptions. They need a really strong reason to subscribe to your brand. Um, third thing I'd say is we're not just competing with you know, other beverages. We're competing with every other subscription. If you have a Netflix subscription and, an, and, you know, and a Spotify subscription and an Olipop subscription, if one of them has to go, we want to make sure that the Olipop is not the first one to go. So we're, just, we're not just competing with beverage. So when you think about you know, those, those three things that are zooming out what subscription is, you then think about what, what, is it, what does a good offer on subscription look like? Um, 
I think the the first thing that we were looking for is removing friction. So there, you know, if if you're going to sign up for a subscription, let's make this the easiest way possible. Um, so number one, you think about we will text you three days before your order gets shipped. Like, hey, we're packing your order of of strawberry vanilla Olipop. Would you like to keep the strawberry vanilla? It'll get shipped out in three days, or would you like to swap, skip, or cancel? Um, and we've seen that 70-something percent of our customers that have been on the subscription for a long while have swapped, skipped, and canceled at least once. So it's important for us to put that flexibility. You know, the old the old subscription brands, you signed up and they didn't talk to you and they hope that you forgot that you signed up with us. It's like, we're constantly communicating with you. We're thinking about what's the messaging we want to talk to you if we know you'll probably stick around for a while instead of just hammering seven emails that you on week one in a welcome flow, we'll spread that over over a long period of time and talk to you like you're here for a while, not like you're running in and running out. Um, and then I'd say finally, like, you know, the, the last two things, it's really important to give customers the ability to make the decision to go into a subscription. What we've seen on D2C is a lot of brands automatically default to subscription. And hell, Amazon doesn't do that. And Amazon has billions of dollars of subscription revenue every year. When a customer decides, you know, Amazon highlights, this is how much money you have from subscribing and saving. And when you want to make that decision to hop right in, you do so. So for us, it's been, we've actually seen the the, the LTV on, on subscribers that joined after their second or third order is marginally higher than the people that jumped in on the subscription. So we don't default to subscription. And I'd say lastly is when you focus on benefits, focus on asking the customer what's exciting for them. So we have a group of a couple of thousand customers that we constantly survey and say like, hey, these are the couple of things we're thinking about for subscription. Do you like any of these benefits? Or would you rather click other and tell us what you like? So one of the things we're think we're thinking of is like get early access to new flavors. We started doing that because customers love that idea. Now they, they, you know, it launches for subscribers first. Another thing we sent out these cool flavor these cool little stickers and people loved it and we're like hell every single olipop box will now get you know if you're a subscriber you're getting these olipop stickers so thinking of like not just creating a facebook group and saying hey you're a subscriber join this group but actually asking like what are our customers super excited about and how can we make this a special experience um from from every other way of purchasing Olipop. So if you're in a subscription, you it feels special to you and it doesn't feel like purchasing in retail and it doesn't feel like purchasing it anywhere else, you're sticking around because you're a subscriber. And the question we always ask is like, what would what's a reason that a customer would not want to cancel their subscription? And that's kind of the framework of how do we how do we retain them? Okay. Yeah, I, I suppose people feel like the way you've built it, people feel like they're part of a, a club like a, a, a almost like yes. a membership in a club rather than just subscribing to a product that they need every or they want every two, four, eight weeks. Um, and I think that's that's a really good way of positioning it, especially that, uh, you know, surveying people, ask, asking what they want and then delivering on that so that people, people aren't just getting a survey, answering it and then hoping at some point they'll see the results of it. They're actually answering these surveys and then, I don't know, it could be, could be six months later that new flavor comes out and you go, cool, well, you guys voted on this, so you guys get it first. Um, yeah, I can, I can see why people would stick around for it. Um, do you, do you yeah. discount for the subscription? And do you think it's necessary yeah. to discount? 
I think every brand has to make discounting decisions based on what their margins look like and based on, you know, are they, are they aiming for growth at all costs or they, you know, every, every brand has to decide that based on where they're at, you know, for, for our subscription, what we, what we saw is, you know, we're purchasing, you know, we have cost of acquisition for a standard customer. If a customer is topping into our subscription, we're, we're obviously saving money by having them repurchase. So what can we take off as a discount to keep these people feeling super duper special? Obviously, the, you know, when you ask a customer, what do you want? The discount is always number one. Now, having said that, I that that's like, you know, that that's very, you know, it's like kind of when when Ford was asked, Ford said when he asked people what they want, they said they want faster horses. And obviously they 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 didn't know that they wanted cars. So I think customers generally always want a discount. And that's on the on the very, very bottom of, of the hierarchy of needs. It's like you you want to save more money. Um when you get higher up, I think you know, the goal is to make people feel like they're part of something larger. Um, so, so, so that discount is, is one of the, one of the facets of, of a, of a well-performing subscription. What we've seen is other brands sometimes inflate their costs of their single order to like a massive, a massive inflated number and then they give a subscription 50% off, which is a, 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 a wonky way of getting a bunch of people on a subscription, but it doesn't necessarily inherently help your retention on subscription. So I think it always has to make sense for, for every brand to do it their way. Yeah, I suppose it, your way is kind of, you know, this this is the price, but if you want to subscribe, you get a bit of a discount. And the other way is, uh, the this is the actual price, this is the subscription price. Yeah. <laughs> so in order to try and nudge you into that, we're going to make the uh, the non-subscription, uh, you know, just, just ridiculously expensive. Um, yeah. Which, you know, it, it, it can work. Obviously, if it's fifty percent, that, that's huge. But you know, it's that, that price anchoring, right? It's it's showing that you know you can get yep. a discount by subscribing. Um, do you uh, just just out of curiosity, really? Do you um do you have like a minimum subscription at all? Or you know, if, if I came in for the first time, could I subscribe, get a discount on it, and then just cancel it? You can one thousand percent do that. Um, you can subscribe today get that discount, cancel five minutes after you place the order. And the reason why that's not a worry for me at all is because if somebody purchases the product at a discount and love the product, they will be back because every single part of the experience is better and they'll hop right back into their subscription. So we've seen quite a couple of people get excited and jump into the subscription, cancel it same day, and they were back 30 days later. So I think by you know what we're doing is novel in the way of like, we're removing every little bit of friction on both ends. So you can join and, and leave and join and leave. You can do that every month if, that, if, if that's exciting for you. But ultimately, we hope that if you purchase a product and you love it, you'll probably be back. If it's not in two weeks, it'll be in eight weeks. And you have much, much higher of a chance of coming back if, you, if we didn't hold you down. And I, I think we've seen some brands um, in this space that I've seen do like you know, minimum six month subscription because you won't see any results in less than six months. And I think that's absolutely bonkers. Like, I think that, you know, a customer decides when they want and how much they want to order of your product. And if you think your product is, is fantastic and it does take six months for a customer to see full, you know, benefit of it, then it's your job to educate them on that. But forcing somebody's hand to make a decision to, to pre-purchase six months because that's the benefit to me, is, is not the future of subscription at all. No, no it comes back to um, uh, what you were saying about those subscriptions who, you know, as soon as you're subscribed, they try and make it difficult for you to get out of. Um, yep. 
you know, I've had I had one. Admittedly, it was a startup, so maybe it was just uh, a logistical thing. But you did have to phone in to cancel. And I remember once uh, when I wanted to cancel, phoning in and, and being told that I was uh, number thirty odd in the queue. And I was like, "Well, I, there's there's no way I'm sitting around uh, for what thirty people. That's a few hours, really. <laughs> that's, yeah, that's a few hours waiting around. So um, I ended up just emailing them and saying, "I'm not going to sit on hold. Can you just <laughs> just cancel it?" But it kind of it left a bit of a, a sour note, right? It, it, even though I, yeah. I, I cancelled it because it, the, the product was good, but it just wasn't for me. Um, but I would happily recommend it to people. But it just kind of annoyed me a little bit that I couldn't just log into my account and cancel. Um, yeah. Or, you know, I might, I might have a look at them again, see if they've changed. They're a, a beer product, <laughs> a, beer, a beer subscription, actually. So, um, uh, yeah, I'm hoping I can change the mix of beers um, to stuff that I actually like. There was just too much stuff that I wasn't really a fan of um my beer <laughs> um cool uh so j- just before we finish uh who in the d2c marketing space would you most like to have lunch with yeah i mean i i am lucky that i've connected to some of the most amazing people in this space over the last year or so um and i've been amazingly inspired by so many of them the the, the person that i I think I'll put a put a little feeler out for her. I am obsessed with brands like Chewy, um, who've done you know who've just taken customer support, customer experience, and made it a, a pillar of their business. So, you know Ryan Cohen, who's the former CEO and, and co-founder, um, is somebody I'm incredibly inspired by. So, Ryan, if you're listening, um, I'd love to have lunch. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we'll, uh, we'll we'll tag him on social media, see if we can get him to respond. Yeah. <laughs> um, cool. And and just last question then. Um, what are what are a couple of marketing tools that you uh, or customer customer experience tools that you love to use every day? Uh, just you know, crucial. Yeah, I love this question because I'm I'm much more of a person. The person operating the tool matters much more than the, the actual tool. But there are a couple of tools that I've found and used over the last couple of months that I'm obsessed with, um, and I'm so excited to talk about them. The number one is. Source Medium. Um, Source Medium is a is a data tool that's kind of like having a data analyst in your pocket. Um, you can slice and dice data from Shopify and Google Analytics and Facebook and see things as like based on which discount code somebody joined, what's their LTV, and it's just super interesting to be able to see that data from somebody for somebody like me who's not super savvy on spreadsheets. Um, number two is No K N O. It is a really cool, uh, powerful Shopify app for customer surveys. You can, it's like a post-purchase app and you can use logic based on the customer's answer to ask secondary questions. So if they said like, how did you find us? And they answered from a friend or family. You can then say like, hey, would you like to refer somebody else and send them to that link or ask them a secondary question after that? So it's extremely powerful to turn like data into direct action and and deepen customer engagement. and then finally, a tool that I found recently is Junip, um, which is a this review tool, but they are Junip, J-U-N-I-P. They are a review tool that is just a, an easy uh, an easy tool to use that is so easy to get on, perfectly on brand. Um, they've been super helpful to get us at Olipop a ton more reviews, and it's just the most easy and frictionless review tool. So those are, those are my top three right now. Um, 
but uh yeah yeah i mean i definitely have to check those out um i, I didn't know don't know the first well i don't know any of them but uh uh I'm, i might know no actually um need to, need to double check if uh if i know someone using it but we're, we're, i'm using a post-purchase survey uh i just can't remember if that's the brand that's the the software um but reviews i mean uh, so important so it's it's really really crucial that you get a review platform that uh, really works for you um can give you that that kind of brand experience that you that you want um can collect the data that you want as well so you know if if you've got quite a visual product you know find a tool that allows people to leave, to really easily leave video and photo reviews yeah 100 percent. you you get quite a few, few of them do attributes now so you can get people to rate a product based on taste uh quality whatever you know um flavor <laughs> yeah and anything you want really um cool awesome uh well this has been absolutely fantastic loved it um if, uh, if if people want to reach out, uh, uh, what's the best way of doing that? As long as you're happy for people to reach out. <laughs> oh, I'd love that. I mean, Olipop is drinkolipop.com and drinkolipop on all socials. To find me, I am at Eli Weiss with an extra S. So W-E-I-S-S-S on Twitter, at Eli Weiss. Um, and yeah, I'd, I'd love to touch base with anyone that finds me. Awesome. Cool. All right. Thanks, Eli. Thank you. As you heard from Eli, customer experience is absolutely crucial. And I'm sure you've all had experiences as a customer where you found things a little difficult or frustrating, and sometimes even customer service can't help you out. A key part of customer experience is just about making things easy for the customer. Make it easy for them to make changes to their subscription, make returns easy, make ordering in the first place easy. So many companies offer free shipping and free returns, but don't shout about it. Maybe there's a bit of a fear that customers will abuse it, But the reality is that's only going to be a problem if your product doesn't actually match up to how you sold it. If you'd like to learn more about how Eli runs customer experience, you can find him on LinkedIn or Twitter. Any other podcast questions, feedback, or guest requests, please send them over to will at customerswhoclick.com or tweet me at Will Lawrenson. Next up, I've got Andrew Lees joining me from Stoke Ventures and Grassracks. And amongst other things, we'll be talking about how Pinterest has helped him and his team grow Grassracks. But until then, keep those customers clicking. (laughs) 